Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I'm a feminist, but two nights ago for a special event, uh, I had someone put on fancy eyelashes for me and two days later I'm holding onto them desperately they're not you're meant to take them off the same night but I can't bring myself to take them off because I genuinely think I look 25% prettier with these eyelashes it's, I'm sure it's not yes. with my eyes or my or anything but no, I don't care yeah you might go blind but it that I I a friend of mine had one that's one done that lasts for months you know, that takes hours and hours where they kind of glue them on individually. And, and and you do look like this incredible, like a cartoon milkmaid. But Yes, she said, it's all I want. They um they make your eyelashes, your own eyelashes just fall out in the end. And then... Um, oh, they do. Yes, that's and what then, I uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. But no, I love a good eyelash. I don't think you should feel bad about that. I always go for an eyelash whenever I can. I just can't apply them myself. I bought some magnetic ones that were just... An extraordinary disaster. I think I've oh, spent an hour and a half. No, you want Lola's lashes for the magnetics. They really do work. It's do just, they? if you can do a liquid eyeliner. Not really. <laughs> okay. that's You need to practice that. That's okay. the magnetic bit. And then you just pop them on. They're amazing. Oh. But these, a makeup artist put them on for me. It's not that, I mean, having eyelashes, there's nothing unfeminist about eyelashes. If no. there is, most of us are doomed. <laughs> but it's more that 
these are party lashes that are meant to be on for one night. Mm -hmm. And I keep maintaining it. I'm like, what? I'm just having coffee with someone. Why do I think I have to have these? They're a bit itchy and uncomfortable now. (laughs) But I'm just like holding on to it because I genuinely... I do believe I'm like 25% prettier with them. Yeah. And I just can't bear to rip them off. I know I'm going to have to, but I'm playing uh, York tonight um, with The Guilty Feminist. And I'm like, York deserves me at my best. <laughs> just and one my more best day. In- one more day. De- one day more. This before is my- A&E. This is my French Revolution moment. One day more, exactly, before A&E going, you really need to take those off. They're causing conjunctivitis now. Um, so, yes, I, I I did try those permanent ones, semi-permanent ones, and they, oh, my God, they're itchy, they're hot, they're dreadful, it's day and night, and they do make your eyelashes out. So, kids, don't use semi-permanent eyelashes and stay in school. Yeah, yeah. And drink milk. I, mean, I don't think vegans want vegans no, will write true. in and say. Don't I realize, drink yeah, milk. as I said it, I thought, no, no, don't drink. This. Well, drink, drink the kind of milk product that you feel comfortable drinking. Yeah, in the eighties, we were told to drink milk because it was good for our bones. But I don't mm. know that. I think dairy probably is terrible for us. Actually, mm. I, don't, I, don't, I think this whole public service announcement's taken a terrible <laughs> turn. Don't do it. Don't follow any advice from Katie Brand or me. No, and I agree. I'm, I'm up with that. Do not, under any circumstances, follow advice from me because I sound very convincing, but I very rarely know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and people that know me well know that. But, you do you know. have a natural authority, Katie. You've always had that. I, Katie and I, listeners will not know, but Katie Brand and I went to university together. Yes. And I think you had a natural authority at 18. Do you think so? Oh, you did, yeah. Just the sort yeah. of arrogance. Well, I think it's ignorance that gives you that sort of authority, really. It's just you can walk around just sort of acting like you know everything. And well, you don't know what you don't know. That age, well, the do other you? thing is I practised a lot at school because I we, we, my friends and I, made up this thing called zodding. Uh, which was walking around the school with a sense of purpose while you were actually bunking off. Um, And so we found that if you walked anywhere with purpose and looking like you had somewhere you needed to be, uh, everyone just left you alone. Teachers would never challenge you on it. And I think that's served me well as a basic principle. (laughs) Are you you zodding through life, Katie? Yeah, I'm zodding through life. That's exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) But I think that's... It's it's useful for feminists, zodding. I mean, if you take nothing else away from this podcast today, take <laughs> Katie Brand's zodding. Yes. Uh, because I think it's useful for feminists because I think it's a lot of what guys do a lot of the time. Like when I do crowd work in the audience of, you know, a show, it, it, I've been doing it. I just did a two-week run at the Soho Theatre. And when I do crowd work, I just find men will answer really quickly, really definitely, and it, with great conviction. But even if I say something like, uh, would you describe yourself as a feminist? They'll go, hmm. Uh, not really. And I'm like, and the whole audience go, oh, and they don't care. They don't care. They're like, I'm zodding it. I'm zodding it. Or they'll go, they'll go, no, 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 because I don't really feel like I can own that term or something like that. They'll turn it. They'll like, be like, no, no, I definitely support feminism, but it's not my lived experience. And I'm like, how have you turned that to get out of the baying crowd that is really, really, they've, out of they've respect prepared for you? I'm not a feminist. <laughs> That is what they say. That's the kind of thing they say. And everyone goes, actually, that does sound plausible. I always like, I think the pinnacle of zodding in that environment is when you begin with, it's not really a question, it's more of a comment. Uh, And you just sort of have to cede the floor for however long the comment takes. And then no one quite knows what to say at the end. Whenever there's a QA and and someone says, this is not really a question, I'm like, you need to put the Q into this A. You cannot put the A into the Q. That is not how it works. Go and write your own book. (laughs) 
<laughs> do you have an I'm a feminist spark, Katie Brand? Um, I think I've got many, but one I that immediately sprang to mind was um, I'm a feminist, but I once sewed a button back onto Les Dennis's shorts because I remembered how to do it from brownies where I was told that as a girl that would come in useful and no one else in the group knew how to do it. And wow. so I did, I repaired Les Dennis's shorts by, so I sat and quietly on my own, just sewed his button back on because it had come off. Like we were Les on a, Dennis's wife. Yeah, well, we were on a walking tour to meet the Pope uh for what? yes for bbc2 it wasn't just something we, oh, did, we say, did on our own it sounds like more like a dream katie yes. if i'm completely honest uh, no no hold on i dreamt this last night uh could you, for the global listeners could you describe who les dennis is please les dennis is a legendary uk comedian and actor and kind of variety star who was a huge star on tv in britain in the 80s and then um kind of did various other jobs hosted a game show but he was an absolute staple of british television when a lot of us were growing up and then he has now become um quite successful as an actor uh he's joined the rsc and he's in the english national opera and things I like that i saw him in nature miss pinafore in fact at the you know yeah but the reason i think it's a borderline feminist situation is that he's a slightly frilly shirt generation back and he yes. was there in a wife-like role, sewing his button on. Well, that's why I it felt himself. it qualifies. But if you get yeah. to know him, you find he's not like that at all. And but um, so I mean, you know, I'm sort of hedging slightly. But I did feel at the time because we were shooting this show called The Pilgrimage for BBC Two, and it was a group of us walking on an old pilgrimage route down to Rome, and um, and so we had very limited luggage with us. We had very limited clothes. We had to hand wash things every night and so on. And so there's no question that Les was doing all that on his own. It's just a one point of walking was quite strenuous and a button came loose and I felt by that point we bonded as a group so I thought you know what I, I'm going to put my natural aversion aside to this and I'm not going to just refuse to do it because I can do it and Les is a really nice man so why don't so I just help him human to human take the gender dynamics out of this yes as I sit here like Les Dennis's wife on a bucket and just his <laughs> it wasn't a bucket I don't know where you've added that from. I don't know why I imagined that. Just a pilgrimage. It just seemed You're felt like the, the kind scene. of thing you could sit on, you know, yeah. on a pilgrimage. Yes. On um, an old tin bucket. And uh, Were you yeah. all Catholic? Was that the was that the No, no, thrust? not at all. There were some atheists on the group. Um there was a lady who's a Muslim. Um there were a couple of Catholics, elapsed Catholic. I myself had my brief uh, well, actually not so brief, teenage um uh, I don't even know what the word is. I was going to say flirtation, but that seems wrong. Sort of plunge into the vortex of, of fundamentalist Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's lapsed now. So yeah, it was a sort of group of us all coming at it from different different angles. Mm. And I fixed the shorts and the, the button held for the rest of the trip. And, you know, maybe I should also say I'm not a feminist, but I was actually quite proud of that. <laughs> I think you should say I am a feminist but I'm not I, oh sorry I'm, I am a feminist but oh no I've lost all my oh, um, negatives now. now listeners she's, she's lost. just accidentally confessed she's not a feminist this has taken a terrible turn respect for you <laughs> Katie Brown cancelled here live with the guilty feminist um, I'm a feminist but I'm mostly excited today to talk to Katie Brand about her incredibly feminist brilliant film but secretly, there's something I'm even more excited to talk to you about. Jennifer Grey's new book, Out of the Corner. Yes. Oh, my God. Because Katie, if you don't know, wrote a book about Dirty Dancing called I Carried a Watermelon and is a massive Dirty... I think the only fan of Dirty Dancing that eclipses my fandom... Do you think so? ...that I've ever met. Yeah. Wow. 
I feel honoured by that. And you actually were one of the first readers of the book, so and you gave me some very useful tips. So, um, so thank you for that. Well, do you, have you read Jennifer Grey's new book? No, I haven't. And I know there's a sequel coming as well. I'm, and and I feel slightly offended now that I haven't been asked to write it. Um, I will read them. Um, but it was interesting. When I was writing my book, I really wanted to write it as a fan and not try and get any... A few people offered me access to people and they would see if I could, you know, could, would you like to meet this person? Would you like to meet that person? We could probably set it up. And in the end, I said, no, I just really want to write this as if I'm... Any almost anyone could get this sort of access and and think about it in this way and things. So, I sort of since then I've had this weird kind of backing off from getting too deep into anything else about it. I don't know why, but it, it's um, I'm sort of almost scared to read it. Also, oh. you know, I heard some interesting things about about the sort of vibe around Jennifer Grey, around Dirty Dancing, when I went to visit Kellerman's. And so, I don't know, I'm going to come at it sideways, out the corner of my eye. I'm going to just sort of pick it up one day and just start reading it and just think, oh, I don't know, is this right? Is this is this how it happened? I don't know. So it's going to be very interesting for me to, uh, to read it, yeah. I am not going to be able to stop myself FaceTiming you later today and telling you everything in the book. Okay. <laughs> I can't. It's... So good. It's like okay. so much 80s gossip. Like it's not all about dirty dancing, of course. Yes. But it's it, the most fun parts are not about dirty dancing. It's basically about every man she ever dated in the 80s. Okay. And she does not hold back. She's like, because she she starts with a nose job and says, I got this nose job and then I was unrecognizable and then I couldn't get any more work. And she explains why she did it. And, you know, it's all very understandable. And But she didn't get her big career that they all got. Mm-hmm. So she's like, are you Sean Penn? Well, I'm afraid you've had a huge career under the bus. <laughs> are you are you Matthew Broderick? Uh, I feel like you're still working a lot and uh, have a lot of brand recognition under the bus. It's phenomenal, Gilda Radner. I mean, really? Oh, Katie, it's a joy. The, Does the she talk about of- where she lives? Because when I got the taxi from the airport to Kellerman's, it was quite a long ride through the Blue Mountains of Virginia, which is where one of the locations for Kellerman's was. And my taxi driver, when he knew where I was going and everything, started telling me that she was moving to a kind of commune there, deep in the Blue Mountains, in one of the most remote, inaccessible parts of America. And again, I don't, I can't verify this, so I don't wish to... Uh, make any controversial allegations but the taxi driver's view was very much that jennifer did not want to be terribly involved with dirty dancing anymore and was certainly not up for making a journey from her commune in the blue mountains to kellerman's to sort of meet and greet fans and there was some quite significant tension around that you may not want to broadcast any of this but like is that no was, no i'm happy to that, broadcast at all i mean because you've basically said allegedly through a taxi driver <laughs> okay. i think we're cleared but katie when you wrote that book some years ago now, because it was all before the pandemic, wasn't it? 2019. Yeah. Yeah. It was in 2019. So since then, she's consciously uncoupled from her husband and written this book and is now making the Dirty Dancing sequel. So yes. I, this book is, you know, there's a big old chunky bit and it's called Out of the Corner. Uh, a big old chunky bit about Dirty Dancing in it, of course. Um, so I think that taxi driver had picked up someone he thought was Jennifer <laughs> She'd He'd said, are you Jennifer Grey? Which, to be honest, she's easy to do these days. Yeah, exactly. Or had taken a woman who looked a lot like Jennifer Grey, had probably had the opposite plastic surgery from Jennifer Grey to look more like her because she was obsessed with dirty dancing and she just started saying stuff like, 
just don't I just don't want to live my life with Jodie Dancing anymore. I just don't want to be constantly I don't want to lead a normal life. And he has taken that as red. That's what I think. Okay. I mean, to be honest, based on the rest of our conversation on that journey, that could well be true. I I don't we feel that about as much miles as we would all have loved way. him to know. <laughs> Live from the Ham Yard Hotel in London, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, and my very special guests, Emma Thompson, Daryl McCormack, and Katie Brand, talking about the new film, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. <laughs> Welcome, welcome. Well, uh, you want my dress? Yes, now. <laughs> Later is fine. Later is fine. Yeah. Okay, all right. Being coy now, I see. Um, so, hello, hello. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, just give us a cheer if you listen to The Guilty Feminist. Woo! Give us a cheer if you don't know what you're at. Woo! Okay, all right. Notice that those cheers are less empowered, sir. Less feminist, if you will. Uh, what do you think you're at? No, I say my fiance's brought me along. Your, uh, my, your fiance's brought you along and sat you in the front row. She feels you have something to learn. Absolutely. Now, do you know what this film is about? Abs- no idea. Okay. All right. Strap in, sir. Strap did, in hard. I did to your absolute power. What? Sorry. I, you, you did the absolute power with. Um... Uh, yes. I, yes. 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 So I listened to that. You listen to an alternative podcast yeah, yeah. that I that I host. Yeah. Listen, way. this is going to be great chat when we're both in the bar. Now, um, what's your name? Alex. Alex, Alex, prepare to learn. Now, I've already seen this film, but I'm so excited to see it again. Um, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, we are doing a guilty family screening, which we sometimes do sometimes if a film or documentary is so in line with our values that we it's undeniable. This film is the guilty feminist inside one film in so many different ways. Uh, it's absolutely hilarious, but also I cried a lot, not just during the film, but for a full five minutes after it ended. <laughs> um, this film is uh, a film that I did not know we were thirsty for until I saw it. And then I went, how come we've never seen this film before? Like, why hasn't this film been made in about 10, 12 different guises, about 10, 12 different women? But do you know why? I think it's something to do with the history of the world and how unspeakably sexist it always is. So I was doing a little bit of research today and I was learning things um, from the internet. Here's something I've learned, Alex. 85 to 95% of human beings usually orgasm when they have sex. Um, 85 to 95% of human beings, that's, that's absolutely normal for human beings. Ex- oh, uh, hold on, except for one group, straight women. <laughs> straight women, uh, only about 65% of straight women orgasm regularly. And I can't think why, because... Lesbians orgasm about 85 to 90% of the time. Um, I can't... That's, that's some, one of them doing it now. Um, it's, only, it's only straight women. I can't think what could be the common denominator there for why straight women are orgasming so much less if they have a male partner but not with a female partner. Now, that's not hashtag not all men, 65%. Of women are orgasming regularly, Alex. Uh, so I'm not saying this is definitely about you, although I am saying you've been sat in the front row and you didn't know what this was about. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, Alex. Uh, 
I'm just saying it's very, very interesting to me that this film, which is about... It's, it's a sexual exploration film and a kind of coming-of-age film, but the coming-of-age isn't 16, it's 60. It's, it's about a woman in her 60s. And I can't remember the last time I saw a film from the point of view of a woman in her 60s doing anything, not just about sex, doing anything. If a woman over 60 is in a film, who is she playing? Just grandma, grandma, grandma or mum? Yeah, absolutely. And what is she doing? Cooking. Cooking, yes. Not much, correct. What was that? Babysitting. Maybe cleaning or babysitting, absolutely. And her actions are all in relief to other people. She doesn't really have a much of a life of her own. Why would she need one? Um, she's got stuff going on. She's got to cook and clean for important people whose stories need to be told. So, are you wearing my glasses? Have I finally met another woman wearing my glasses? You're wearing my signature glasses. This is such an exciting moment for me. Did you buy them after you saw me wearing them? Or did you... Yes, I'm sorry, I plagiarised them. You plagiarised my glasses? No, I'm very flattered. Anyway, this is off the topic of women orgasming. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing about women in films, but especially women over 60, is that they almost invariably have no life force of their own. They are only facilitators. And I spoke recently uh, to some women who were doing a campaign about this, and one of them was Mira Sayal. And she said, as an Asian actress, she said, now I'm in that mumsy category... She said, the only things I get to do is either be a um, strict Indian mum who's trying to arrange a marriage or surprisingly liberal Indian mum. And the joke is, she's not strict. And I said, is it just you making cups of tea for lesbians and not disapproving of them? She said, that's exactly what it is. She said, it's just me making cups of tea for lesbians. And the joke is, the audience laugh because she's cool with that. And so unless she's writing something for herself and managing to get her on, then that's all that is being offered. Um, now, I don't know if some of you saw that the BBC comedy department announced that they were going to be spending 10 million quid on pilots. They're trying to find the next flea bag, they were saying. And then they said, we've just announced a whole raft of new TV shows. Every single one of them was by a man with a man in the lead. I don't know how they're going to find a new flea bag precisely there, but it just, there was nothing in their PR that acknowledged that. They just hadn't noticed that all the shows they'd commissioned while trying to find a new flea bag were written by men. And so I'm sure some of those will be very good and some of those will be from diverse um, perspectives. There's nothing, I'm not saying that there aren't new stories to be told. You know, we need a lot more stories of men of colour. I think there's a show there from a disability point of view. So there's absolutely not saying it's a split evenly down a gender line. But what I am saying is if you announce six new shows and not one of them is written by a woman or for a woman, I am questioning that you are going to find the next Fleabag. I'm questioning that. But I'm also directly linking it to the fact that many fewer women, straight women, have orgasms. I'm directly linking those two things. I am blaming the BBC comedy department for that. No, directly. I'm going to directly blame them. Because they are part of a system that does this all the time. That we so rarely look through a woman's eyes. We are not invited to empathise with women. Think about how many times you've seen a man in a film be the president of the United States? Now think about how many times you've seen a man in a film be an astronaut, a serial killer, 
How many times you've seen Amanda film be an average Joe who just can't get it right? Think about all the things that you've seen men do. We can empathise with every man doing everything. If a man is a really arrogant president of the United States who keeps fucking everything up and writing ridiculous tweets, we might hate him, but we can kind of understand there's a backstory there. There's a lot of discussion about how he had a difficult childhood. We might hate him, but it's not an untenable thing for a man to do. It's so hard for a woman to become president of the United States it, because, you know, if she may have emailed from the wrong laptop, she's, dis- she's, she's excluded because we've not been invited to empathise with that woman. All of us haven't been invited. Not, not just men. We have not been invited. We all find it easier to watch Jimmy Stewart be sad at Christmas because, oh, no, my life's gone wrong, and, oh, what if I'd never lived? We all find it easier to watch through Jimmy Stewart's eyes because that's all we've been trained to do. And so it's very hard for any of us to really get behind the idea of a female president of the United States. We don't imagine women have backstories, even when we are a woman. It's harder for us to get over that. And then if you take that intersection, you go, you know, add an intersection that... Uh, that Uh, of race that is not white given we live in white supremacy or disability in a world that that really constantly puts non-disabled people first and so on and so on and so on Um, that escalates so films like this are so important because they ask us to look through the eyes of a woman and in this case an an is this is so extreme what this film is asking us to do it's so extreme it's like an extreme sport watching this film it's asking us to look through the eyes of a woman over 60 and imagine she has a sexual urge ever (laughs) that she's ever had one that she was young once that she's not dead now even though she's old that she still has like sexual urges pulsing through her body that she has regrets that she has fears that she cares about shit We're going to be asked to do that, so we all have to strap in. If you are a woman, it might make you cry because you don't realise until you watch this film how little your sexual urges are ever considered in films. Think about the way sex is often depicted in films for women. Not porn. Think about in films, how it's depicted. Sex in films is so fast every time. It's just so fast. It's generally people rip each other's clothes off there's sort of a little bit of thrusting. Everybody comes at the same time. <laughs> no, so, little, so little is done for that. It's, like, it's just like an instant victory every time. And then it's over. And I know that they don't want to take up the whole film with it. But at the same time, I feel like we can do clever things like we can cut in time and things like that. But they don't bother with that. They just go, ah, and the sex, it's done. He comes, she comes, yay. And so I understand why a lot of the straight men who are directly responsible for the low rate of orgasms of women in this, on, our, on our planet think that they're doing the right thing because they've watched the same films we have. And they've been asked not to look through Kelly McGillis's eyes in Top Gun, but in Tom, through Tom Cruise's eyes. And they've seen Kelly McGillis come within 25 seconds. Now, I am here to tell you that has never happened. Kelly McGillis has never come in real life in 25 seconds. I WhatsApped her earlier. She confirmed that for me. She's also confirmed she will not be in the new Top Gun. Um, everyone else is coming back, but she's not coming back. Do you know why she's not coming back? Of course, have you seen her? She's over 60. Yeah. Now, Tom Cruise is also over 60, but... Who cares? 
But who cares? Thank you. Yes, but um, that hasn't stopped the movie going ahead. I just so wish that they had cast Kelly McGillis as his long-term partner and wife and let her look how she looks. That would be a radical act. If Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis were now a couple, they're both in their 60s, she doesn't look 25 anymore. Can you imagine how amazing? What a radical thing that would have been for Top Gun to have done. They have not done that, gang. They have... What did I just say? Did I say something funny? Did I? quite excited for this film um, but it that's 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 another film um, look it up it's actually surprisingly better because it was shot by a woman but anyway it wasn't of course it wasn't don't be ridiculous um, but that is not happening it is not happening when those films are revived They are never revived with the woman. The woman is cast off onto a landfill of other actresses who are dead to turn 60. And instead, they are replaced by an actress who's 38 at best. So we are never going to change the world. We are never going to win the overturning of Roe versus Wade unless we learn to empathise with women. It's not going to happen. It requires us to learn to empathise with women. And I sat next to a very important man in the film industry recently at a fancy film dinner. This very fancy man asked me the point of feminism. And I thought he was genuinely asking a nice question, like, what's your agenda at the moment? And I answered, and he said, "Mm, the thing is, though, mm, it's very difficult sometimes because it's very confusing uh, for men because women dress in such a way to be irresistible and then they complain when they're attacked. So, I know, I know. And this wonderful woman next to me, who I wasn't sure was going to be an ally, I think she worked for the Queen, um, (laughs) leaned across and said, the thing is, it's not confusing if you realise that women are people. (laughs) And I loved her so much for saying that. And... Uh, Hannah Gadsby said to me recently, story is our cure, because story invites us to realise that women are people. It invites us to realise that people who are not one sort of person are also people. And we are not going to change anything unless we realise that, that fact. So this film is asking us to... It's inviting us into a world... And if we realise that both of these characters are people, so much will shift and change. And in saying that, I now introduce you to the world of Good Luck to You, Leah Grand. Really enjoy. See you on the other side. So I've made a list of things that I'd like to get through. Oh, I think we'll certainly make a significant dent in it. Good. That's good. Good. You want to start with the blowjob? For 31 years, my husband would climb on top, do the business, roll off, put his pyjamas on and go back to sleep. I've never had an orgasm. And yes, in fact, if we do this, he will only be the second man I have ever had sex with. Oh, God. Now, Nancy. This is crazy. Nancy. It's terrible. It's wrong. Nancy. Yes? Let's go to bed. Okay. 
the oldest person you've ever done it with? 82. 82? Yeah. 82? Nancy. Okay, I'm feeling a bit better now. <laughs> I've been very bad today, miss. You might have to keep me behind after class. Okay, stop it. No, I know, miss. But no, we no, no, could no, just... safe word, safe word. We don't have a safe word. What about you, the real you? I'm whatever you want me to be. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I've never done anything interesting or remarkable in my life. This is it. I see my friends shriveling up over the years. Sorry. Nancy, everyone needs something different. I don't judge my clients. Unless they're total assholes. <laughs> some, some sort of sex saint. Are you real? <laughs> I have felt more alive in this last month than I can ever remember. You're the only adventure I've ever had. Oh, shit. Oh, oh God. Well, what am I going to say? Hello, sorry, I can't talk now because I've booked this man for the night and I'm trying to perform horse sex on him. I just don't have to say that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listen, with Roe versus Wade coming back, I'm a feminist bard. With Roe versus Wade looking to be overturned, I think Dirty Dancing should be a set text. Yes. For every single high school student, because it really demonstrates what it was like before abortion was available in America. Women still had them, but they had them in very dangerous ways. The movie's uh, too joyful in order to show the worst thing that could have happened to Penny, um, getting that illegal abortion. But it really leads you there to think, before Roe versus Wade, if you wanted to have an abortion, somebody else had to learn to do the merengue in order for that to happen. <laughs> and so think on, America. Think on. And then all do that led know? to was yet more casual sex. So it doesn't work. It was, it was so much more casual sex. <laughs> so much more casual sex. Yeah. And so I just, um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I'd settle for just the Supreme Court watching Dirty Dancing, to be honest, before we introduce it into the curriculum. I think they should all sit some... down and do a screening. And then oh there'll, be a, there'll be questions, there'll be a test afterwards, I think. I've been looking for more Guilty Feminist events. Mm. I think the Supreme Court watching Dirty Dancing <laughs> and then having to do a panel with you and me, I think would be excellent. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about all of that storyline is that, you know, they tried to cut it at the time and the sponsors, they got various sponsors and the studio system didn't really support it and they made it independently and they were trying to raise independent money and there were sponsors and so on and they all just wanted that bit cut and Eleanor Bergstein, the writer, said, well, I'm going to embed this so far into the plot that you actually can't cut it without destroying the whole film. So she really stood her ground, but very often, a few times, the whole thing nearly collapsed because people just didn't want that storyline in there. 
Um, it's amazing when you look back that they got it in in the 80s. Mm. Well, because it was independently financed and they made it independently. And then it was later the distributors and the sponsors said, well, we can't have that in it. And they said, well, you try taking it out. Like, what? Mm. You know, there's no, there's no, you can't take it's, it out. Nothing makes sense. Yeah. And also the stakes on She Just Wants to Learn to Dance, that film would never have been a hit. It's no. not, it's never just the, you know, we, we think of it and we think of all Patrick Swayze's glistening mm. writhing torso but it's movies are never hits for those reasons it's no and I think places you can see that and I think you know it's going strong after 30 years or so and I just think if anything lasts for decades whatever you think of it there's something there to be analyzed like you know that there's something important going on and usually with these sort of films that are dismissed as fluff by some people um if they endure and they attract a certain level of sort of following there's something there it's just where maybe not everyone respects it but there is definitely something there and I think that underlying storyline of actually Penny and Baby being friends and the whole thing initially being motivated and started kick-started not by a relationship between a man and a woman and yes Baby's intrigued by this whole sexy back you know backstage dance scene and Johnny Carson's very exciting but the key thing that happens is that baby recognizes penny's predicament and tries to help her and they become friends as a result of that that's quite a significant second storyline in there and that and, and also i saw the original script they still have a shooting script at, at kellerman's from the shoot and it's different to uh, a little bit different i mean the bulk of it's the same but the ending is all about sisters and how the sisters make up in the end and the mum says i wish i had a sister and so Yes, it's the the ending we have is great, fantastic, and iconic, which is the lift up, and you know I've had the time of my life and all of that. But the the female solidarity element is is right in there. So, and and I think some people miss that. Although women don't miss it, women feel it, even if they don't quite articulate it. I absolutely hear and feel all of those things. That there's always a sort of driving heart of something. When when women really love a film, you can always analyze why, and it, when it really is iconic. You can get down to the heart of it and there is always something feminist going on, which leads me to your incredible new independent film, uh, which is about to become a global hit in the in the manner of Dirty Dancing. Well, let's hope. Um, Oh, it is going to be. Absolutely. Because as much as I want to spend the next four hours deconstructing Dirty Dancing (laughs) with Katie. Always. You are meant to be here advocating for your own film. Yes. Sorry. And like almost all women what you've come, done is come in and talked about another woman's film and gone, this is why everyone needs to watch another woman's film. Um, but in fact, we need to be talking about your film. Well, in fact, yes, and I appreciate that and we will, and thank you. But I would say just to lead into that, that Jersey Dancing has been a big influence on me and obviously I've talked about that and written a book and, and it's been an influence on me personally and so on. But it was certainly, I think, it's always in the background of this. And and the dance seduction scene in Dirty Dancing between Baby and Johnny is, is absolutely iconic and one of the best dance seduction scenes on earth. And that sort of thing I write in the book about the, the relationship forming between them out of trust and intimacy, friendship, revealing truths about each other, talking, learning things together, leaving the space open to do that, that then translates into good sex. I think not only had a very positive impact on me when I was younger, um, and just sort of learning about these things, but it's definitely influenced the way I wrote this script and the reasons behind it. And not that there are sort of great important reasons behind it, but I just mean it's influenced that drive in the film between this man and this woman who are very different to Baby and Johnny in every respect, but still the idea that being intimate and talking and laughing together and finding out about each other can underpin an excellent 
sexual experience mm. um, is is in there and I think is always something I find uplifting and exciting as a concept and I, I definitely think you could draw a direct line from Dirty Dancing to my desire to put that in a film. Now you've said that, Leo Grand has got a touch of the Johnny Carson. Oh, for sure, for sure. And when we were talking about influences on him, he came up. I mean, everyone from Johnny Castle to Prince. It, it, and the common thread is someone who makes you feel comfortable to just open up a bit and has that kind of manner around you. And I think someone who, a man who just likes women and is interested in women and, and wants to hear some stuff that they have to say, even if it's a bit ridiculous, and then can lead you to sort of laugh at it a bit and relax a bit. And, and so, yes, there are these men in in life in cinema um and so definitely i mean i i think i can also see the sort of johnny carson in there the, the bits of that and, and and we we talked about that yeah we talked about the kind of men and the kind of men in cinema that we've we've seen that are kind of of this ilk it's called good luck to you leo grand yes and could you just give us a short uh pitch of pricey of what the film is yeah it's about um a 60 something widow called nancy stokes who is a former teacher who um realizes that she has never had what she considers to be a good sexual experience in her life that her only partner has been her husband for her whole life who has died and she realizes she wants to change that and so she hires a young uh, male sex worker um, for what she hopes will be a night of bliss. And that's Leo Grand and he turns up and they meet in a hotel room several times. And um, each time we just take the story a bit further and learn a lot more about them and um, hopefully approach some excellent sex. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Yes, because there is a dance seduction scene in this that's really charming Yeah, because the way that Daryl dances is actually like a little bit geeky yeah it's it's not actually that it's not it's not Patrick Swayze he's deliberately kind of slightly dad dancing I think to get her to dance with him yeah it's a he's really, not showing off for her he's like play he's being playful yeah it's a really sensitively done scene and I love it and that I it's actually my favorite scene in the film I think which slightly shoots myself in the foot as the writer because it's non, <laughs> non-verbal. But it was a sort of late suggestion. And obviously the script is really verbal and that's what I like and that's what I enjoy. And I like hearing people talk. I like just hearing interesting people talk about interesting things. And so I sort of tried to invent a couple. Um, but we did realise, you know, this is super verbal. And at some point, what will be lovely is to see this kind of foreshadowing of of the later more physical scenes work through in a dance and again writing the dirty dancing book and having done dancing myself in various jobs and things you know that the obviously it's it's not exactly a sort of incredible observation on my part to say that the way you dance together might mirror how you are in bed together but um that is definitely true even if it's a cliche and so there was this moment where we suddenly thought what's missing in this you know i love a little dance scene in a film we just need a bit where they come out of their verbal um, moments together which I love but also just to show them physically together just interacting physically with no words and so um, so we kind of just put that line in the script and then Sophie and Daryl the director Sophie Hyde and, and Daryl and Emma um, went away and, and came up with that and I got sent the rushes for it and it was just like oh my god this is amazing this is just beautiful and there's a look that she gives him in the dance 
that I just think is just encapsulates the whole film with no words. <laughs> you know, this sort of slight longing, a wistfulness, concern for him, a sense of what could have been. You know, all all of this stuff is in there in the in the in this one look Emma gives, which obviously is what makes her a world class actress. Um, but it just really took me aback. I mean, it made me think of a story that I heard a writer who was in a read through of a film that he'd written and there was a very senior actor. I'm not, I can't remember who it was, but it was someone at the level of sort of Al Pacino, sort of John Malkovich sort of thing. And this writer said, I was in the read through and um, we were reading through the script and there was this whole paragraph that this character had to give. And this guy looked down the actor and um, just crossed it out and then just did the whole paragraph with one look. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy was like, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) I was very moved by this film I went to see a screening and the audience laughed so much like it was really 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 funny but we all cried and I actually cried more after the film than I did in the film I had to go away and like gather myself I had to go I cried for a a few minutes afterwards because it touched things in my life actually on both sides both on the side of Nancy played by Emma Thompson and also Leah Grant played by Darren McCormack I mean, the film is unapologetically through her eyes, which you don't realise until you see it that you never see that. You never see a woman over 60 being the star of a film unless she's doing something quite Erin Brockovich. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like she could be winning a lawsuit Mm. of some magnitude. Or sort of going on a very tragic journey sometimes, which is on all of those are kind of perfectly legitimate good films, like important and entertaining. But... I just, you know, to ma- I wanted to make a comedy with with this woman at the centre of it, but where she's not the butt of the joke, but she is the subject of the film, and the film is a comedy. And so, um, yeah, and also I wanted to make a film in which nobody's punished for having some good sex, because I, and especially the woman, because it's a real trope in storytelling, cinema, and everything that someone, a woman, goes out and tries to find some pleasure for herself you know and like whether that's sex whether that's anything and usually what happens next in the story is that like she's punished for it narratively you know like she suddenly gets the call at the you know the point of orgasm that one of her children has had a fall and is in hospital or you know or something in her life collapses you know what I mean there has to be some negative consequence for abandoning yourself wholly to your own pleasure and not giving a toss about it in the story and it just I I just always think of that line in um the Barbara Streisand film is it the way we were what is it but she says um where she's breaking up with him and he says what we'll both lose she said why can't we both win like and I just always remember that line it's delivered in that such a Streisand way and I just I I sort of wanted to go into this thinking that why can't we both win? Why can't they both win? Why can't we have a film which is entertaining and truthful and moving and exciting, hopefully, but where nothing terrible happens at the end because they had a good time, um, that they can take that and, and grow from it. And I just, all the films that I loved growing up or that I love even now have that element to the end where they're uplifting and you sort of feel, even if you've been through something in the film, which you have to have in order for it to be a satisfying story, you're left at the end with a feeling of excitement and power and that, you you know, that your life could be really exciting if you did X, Y, Z and you've got the power to do it and you can do it and you don't need anyone's permission and you won't be punished (laughs) you know, for looking for your own pleasure. And I just, um, I I think 
that was just something I wanted to do, and particularly with an older woman, that she wasn't the butt of the joke and she's not going to be punished for doing this. It's going to work and they're going to both win. And I, I just... I just, that's the kind of film I want to watch. Well, it's certainly the kind of film I want to watch now. <laughs> what made you, as a woman who's 20 years off, you're 60s, like what made you think this is the story I want to tell? I think because I don't really see her as like a very particular age. I see her as a particular attitude and background and stance. And I think, you know, in terms, it, it was a very interesting situation to me and a potentially, you know, funny, entertaining, maybe moving situation to be in. Um, and I just think there is, you have to, to some extent, push it to extremes in order to justify making the film and make the story. And, and so I, I just, I, I think to me, it's not so much that this woman is the age that she is in the film. It's more the experience she's had and the life she's had. And that can happen at any age, I think. I mean, you know, maybe the average 22-year-old is, is going to not relate to it in the same way that older women will. But still, I think there are a lot of women who are hamstrung by the idea that they are allowed to seek their own happiness and pleasure on their own terms. And I think that's an ageless thing. You either, you know, and so it wasn't like I thought, mm, I know I'm going to make a film about, I'm going to write a film about um, a woman of this age and a young man because... I'm going to sort of look at this woman this age from afar and think, oh, I wonder what it's like for an older woman. Like it wasn't a kind of science project. Um, you know, I, like you said, I, I felt both the Nancy stuff and the Leo stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't the primary focus. The primary focus was to bring two very different but equally interesting people into a room and put them in an interesting situation and then see what happened, which is what I find exciting as a writer. Um, I think it's an extremely interesting and powerful piece of advocacy for sex workers as well. Did you research that? Like, how did you come at that? Well, initially, the idea had been around in my head for four or five years, maybe longer. And I thought, should this be a short film? Should this be a literature? And I sort of banged it around in my head. Just, just the setup, just the woman waiting in the room and the knock at the door from the sex worker and then seeing and, and I and until I sat down to write it for the first time um in 2020 I hadn't really got beyond that in terms of ethics in terms of what they would say to each other in terms of anything and it was just I write best or I think best when I just start writing and see what happens and then the, as the as the voices get stronger and start to depart from me they start to talk to each other on their own terms and I'm really just transcribing it and then I see what's there at the end so the kind of that aspect of it the sex work aspect of it evolved I think as the characters evolved and I really wanted to make him yes to have a background and uh, of course a history and a, a full personality and all that but but for, for him also to be extremely good at his job and very professional and to be able to have that way of being professional in the room no matter what's going on in his personal life that he's a very he's very good at this he's talented at this um it's almost a vocation for him he believes absolutely in pleasure and that was something that was based on reading that I had done in the past because this area just interests me um there are plenty of countries in the world um where sex work is legal um I have read only yes for example I read in a newspaper a German newspaper a man who is very like Leo Grand has the same sort of attitude who wrote a whole full piece it wasn't anonymized they talked to some of his clients some of whom are older women um, who described all this it wasn't like anyone had to hide it everyone was very proud and pleased um, 
that, that this was the way they worked together and this was what they'd found and all of this. So that sort of attitude really fascinates me. And I have watched documentaries in the past and I have friends who have worked in the sex industry, but not as sex workers. Um, and so I, I had a lot of, I had read in the, about um, clinics um, in the Netherlands where people uh, are sort of registered and, and um, they'll have a, lot, a wide range of clients that they're referred to by their GP. That has happened in the UK. I think there's some controversy around the funding for that now. But that whole area just really just absolutely fascinates me that we should try to take some of the shame out of sex, out of wanting sex, wanting good sex, and just try and sort of enable it <laughs> rather than make it difficult or put it off or shameful or criminal um it doesn't have to be of course there is a whole conversation about trafficking about all that i'm not i don't think anyone going into this film was blind to any of that or denying it on any level but that is a different thing to sex work where someone has voluntarily decided that they would love to do that and it is work and people are very good at it and there are lots of places in the world where it's an absolutely regulated and I think, in my view, quite an honourable profession. So uh, that has always interested. There, there are certainly people who I know who who is a vocation, and yeah. there are other sex workers I've met who have gone. It's it's not my favourite thing in the world to do, but it's much better paid than stacking shelves exactly. in the supermarket. And I and I I don't mind it, and you know, but I don't I wouldn't like any of the other jobs I had to do anymore. And there are people who. Uh, sex workers I've met who say I don't do it anymore because I started to hate it and there's that whole conversation mm. uh, and the you know the conversation about criminalizing things drives it underground and then it puts men in charge um, and so you know we definitely definitely need to have that conversation and trafficking is something completely different yes that is a horrendous horrible crime mm-hmm. and that is completely different but it is it is the difference between consensual sex mm-hmm. and rape and so we don't outlaw consensual sex because because rape exists. And so we we do definitely need to be having this conversation more. We need to be having it with our MPs, really. Yes, exactly. All of that. And and we wanted to keep this within the realms of, you know, what we were had set out to make, which was something interesting and entertaining, you know, a, a, perhaps a conversation starter, but not to come at it with any kind of sense or of like this is our view and this is what we're pushing you know it is a conversation between two interesting people in an interesting situation um which is my kind of favorite film and and these things should flip from one to the other people might change their mind three or four times in the film that that doesn't it's fine if there's a sense of ambiguity it's fine if you hate it like it, it's it's a film it's a piece of creative work um with two yeah, characters it's not a, it's not a, a polemic or a yeah or a documentary it's not a TED talk, it's not a it's, TED talk. yeah it's a it's um, a it's a film with two interesting characters in an interesting situation and um you know i just wanted to hear these two interesting people talk to each other and go to bed together and and that's what i was sort of trying to achieve but in the course of writing it and working with sophie hyde the director and emma and daryl um we had several um professional sex workers who were consultants who read the script several times gave notes uh, we talked to them we spent time um and so once it became clear that you know but I mean, apart from anything else, the film needs to stand up to the very people that would know exactly how this stuff works. So, you know, if there, there were several points where like one of our consultants would say that I'd never do that or that would be a complete no, no. You're like, oh, God, of course, and change it. Um, and um, and so that was really important to us, I think. Again, not because it's a documentary or a sort of 
No, but it's respectful and it makes the film better. It makes it more truthful. I hope so. I mean, you know, it's just, you can't just go off and write whatever you like. (laughs) You know, you do have to root it in someone's personal experience, especially if it's not a direct personal experience that you've had yourself. So we just wanted to listen and make sure that we haven't written something completely outlandish or offensive or just wrong. I think that's right. And there are some writers who go, no, 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 I can, I can write from my imagination. I can do what I want. But I'm like, you can, but it's an extru- if you are writing about an extremely unrepresented, com- under slash unrepresented community and you've got the platform because you've got the proximity to influence and power, it really behoves you to pay professionals to, for their expertise. Yeah. And you've done that. And, it's, and it re- I think it really comes through. I think it's beautifully written. I do think also you must have been so thrilled when she said yes, because in lesser hands with both of those actors have to be compelling uh, and really truthful because it, it otherwise it's, you know, there's nothing else but this hotel rooms. There's nothing else. You know, there are movies where you're like, well, you've got some lovely costumes there, you know, and yeah. you've got you know, lo- lots of happening and lots of quick cuts and you, know, you don't <laughs> really, you know, you don't need an amazing story, amazing performances, but really it's in the hands of these two people to absolutely make you believe it and mm-hmm. to take you there and for it not to ever, it's never sort of tawdry you never go oh no oh stop you know mm-hmm. it's you're always rooting for them um that's going to land differently in australia um, <laughs> and they're rooting for you um it's a it's yeah it's it's so beautifully done and beautifully directed i think leah grant will become a shorthand that someone will say i had a real leah grant experience this, this afternoon um and i saw it the first screening I saw at Cat and Moran was there and she said, people are going to start advertising the Leo Grand experience. And I was like, I really hope so. Um, it, it, it's, I think it's going to become like a meme for a whole world of experience of somebody paying attention to you and mm-hmm. caring about you and wanting to know about you. And also this invitation invitation to a broader sector of the community to see themselves as sexual beings. Mm-hmm. Because I think so few of us are really asked to see ourselves as sexual beings with confidence. Like there's this tiny band of people who are consistently put up in the media as sexually viable, actually. (laughs) You've got to look a certain way. You've got to be a certain age. You've got to have a certain sort of body. And and outside that, it's all a bit, ooh. Like we're not invited like into the, you know, and I see myself as attractive. I don't see myself as unattractive. But there are times where I there's this sudden canyon of confidence that opens up where I go, am I allowed in this pool? Mm. And I'm like, what? You know, it's so wild. Like that, you know, like unless I look like Ariana Grande or, you know, Margot Robbie, should I be allowed to be playing in the space? It's so strange when almost all human beings are sexual creatures. Yeah, I think, and, you know, there is a sort of small band of, well, you get articles every now and again going, I can't, you you won't believe these women are 60. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's a kind of, you know, a dozen or so women who maybe are allowed to be, but only because they work very hard to look 40 or 30. Do you know what I mean? Like you, the rest of us who are kind of, you know, embracing our slightly more puddingy years are still perfectly full of desires and excitement and all of those sorts of things. And, and so that's what I, I think we all wanted to do with this film and Emma immediately responded and said when I sent her this script the the first time with the part of Nancy she was just like I know this woman like I've been this woman I know these were you know this I've been around this attitude my whole life and she just sort of 
responded to that straight away as as a sort of not a sort of not you know there are lots of women I think now in their fifties and sixties who are amazing to me who look amazing who just wear like you know leather trousers and have you know this great confidence and they're starting new things in later life and they're going to buy a one-way ticket to Italy and just sort of go there and see what happens and like you know great I'm not there's no denial that there is now a strata of women um in that age group um of which I am you know in uh, not far off who are really going for it and really embracing and controlling and taking ownership back of their lives and I think that's brilliant but that is not Nancy and there are lots and lots of women in the world who are like Nancy. Who, there are many more Nancys than there are women in leather trousers with one yeah. to Venice. Let's be incredibly honest. Yes, uh, and so that was something that I think I wanted to represent, and that's something you know that that, it, that I don't look at from afar and think, "Gosh, what, what an interesting thing!" I, I'm a woman in leather trousers for the ticket to Italy because I'm really not. There's plenty of Nancy in me, and therefore I feel there's probably plenty of Nancy in a lot of us, even those you know those of us who make sure we have you know nice eyelashes and you know take care of ourselves who feel confident who feel we're entitled to have nice things I'm not saying we're all kind of like you know dragging ourselves around going no no I couldn't possibly like no but but society is constantly giving this message and has been since we were small so we can't not hear that message you know you have to be made of steel yes to override that message consistently Mm -hmm. you have to do so much work to hurdle over every single thing you've ever been told and shown. Mm. Every bus stop you pass has a particular sort of woman on it. And if you don't fit into that, if you're not basically Jennifer Aniston or Jennifer Lopez, you mm-hmm. know, you've got, they're, they're your options. Uh, you know, like it, it, in some way or another, you're not approaching a Beyonce or a Kardashian or a, you know, I mean, when we were at university, it was all Kate Moss. I'm, oh God, don't remind me. I mean, desperately you know. wish there'd been <laughs> any kind of representation. I think I'd feel totally differently about myself if I were coming of age now. I think I would. I think I already do. Like, I, you know, I can see a glimpse of it. Yeah, I think there's this representation of women looking just deeply fabulous with different shaped bodies in in wonderful clothes and outfits and you know that you look at all kinds of there's, there are there definitely is a more widespread but but what you still see is there's a deep-seated conservative reaction to it and women women taking charge of their own pleasure and and making sure that you know that people know that it's not in some obnoxious way but just that you you're in charge you're I'm in charge of this <laughs> you know like I'll say what I like what I don't like I'll pursue things that make me happy and like, I don't need to reference anyone in this that's still there are still significant parts of society and significant parts of people who uh, a society of people that are in control of it who really don't like that don't like women taking charge of things taking control of things earning money off things that they think well you shouldn't be making money off that whatever it is when you start to really clearly and obviously take charge of yourself your pleasure your whatever some people really still don't like that and it can get quite unpleasant and i just wanted to speak well, to the peterson the other day yes. go the swimsuit <laughs> model on the front cover he was when i looked at her i thought she had the sort of iconic uh, hallmarks of what the patriarchy tells us is beautiful hmm. but jordan peterson decided she wasn't i don't know small enough i suppose that's the only thing i could see we're taking up too much space too confidently yeah she was like no 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 no. if you want to pose like that in a full piece she was in a full piece swimsuit mm. you want to pose like that in a full piece swimsuit you need to look like all of the other swimsuit illustrated or whatever that magazine is called uh all of the other models that have ever been on there you, mm. you can't be even a tiny bit different she's a tiny bit different 
that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And and he made such a fuss about it and people pushed back on him, which mm-hmm. again wouldn't have happened when we were at university. There would have been one voice drowning, you know, that woman would have been shamed back into a hole. But now there's so many women on Twitter who just go, excuse me, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And he apparently left Twitter, um, <laughs> and which made me very happy because I was like, well, you know, things are changing. But I but do also I don't ever, but I always want to avoid the idea, I know we all do, of kind of saying, oh, look at all the thin women. They've got it all so easy and the rest of us just have to talk, you know, like the, just the key thing that I think we all are going for is that everyone just feels fine looking however they <laughs> look, mm. you know, and if you feel strong and healthy and happy, if you look at yourself in the mirror and think, well, maybe Jordan Peterson wouldn't like me and maybe I would, you know, rather this didn't wobble so much or that didn't stick out so much, but broadly... I think I look pretty good and I'm going to put this swimming costume on that maybe just, you know, gives me a bit of support there and does a bit of back there. You know, I'm not saying we're all kind of just thinking, yeah, let's just hang out, let it all hang out. You know, it's just, it's fine to look how you look and to feel good how you feel. And also some of the sexiest people I've ever met in my life have not, are not going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated anytime soon. <laughs> you know, so I think the other thing Thank is you, that, Katie. That <laughs> I, I, I've taken I've taken that on board. You've taken that. That was a mantra through yeah. the day. I would be upset if Jordan Peterson liked me. If I if Jordan Peterson liked me, I would do something to get rid of that. I, I would feel like, <laughs> get off me. Get off me. I don't want you liking me. I would do anything to have him not like me. I think I'm pretty safe. I'm in a safe zone. I don't think Jordan Peterson's going to be sending me love letters anytime soon. Um, but <laughs> Or I, anyone. <laughs> no, no. I think I think to be honest, he's he's uh, he's happier alone, um, which is lucky. Uh, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like sometimes now there is a pressure to love your body in a way that may also feel like an unattainable beauty standard. It's but also, like, it's a bit oh, tiring. It's sort of yeah. a bit tiring to have to be constantly in love with your body, and also it can be a denial of reality. I mean, I think the thing that Emma, you know, in the final scene of the film, um, is quite significant, and people will know when they see, you know, when Emma took that step to remove all her clothes, and it was in the script. But I said, you know, we did say you don't have to do it like this. You don't. It can be shot in such a way we can still tell the story, and it was Emma that was just like, no, this because she, because she is a world class actress and she wants it to be the best film it can be. She was like, no. I can see what's needed here and I'm just going to need to get myself into the mental place where I can do it. And she did. And it's phenomenal. It makes the film. And I think she has talked a lot about not, not looking at your body and thinking, wow, every part of me is amazing or looking at your body and thinking, God, I look awful. Like, look at that. Look at that. It's just looking at your body neutrally without judgment on either score. and just Mm. saying, that's me. That's That's fine. And, and it gets body, me, I'm, walk, I'm, I'm, I'm get, it's getting me around or, you know, yeah. whether that's getting you around the world outside or getting you around the internet or getting you around, it's getting you around. Yeah. And so, you know, be with it. And I yeah. think that's, that's the thing that I like when I go, sometimes I go to yoga and I feel like I'm taking my body on a date. <laughs> um, if I haven't done anything with my body for a while, you know, I'm there in a, a child's person and go, Oh, there you are. Hello. You know, just checking in with my body <laughs> yeah, and enjoying being with it sometimes. Cause I think we're just so out of ourselves all the time. We're oh, what's happening next. And I've forgotten to do this and I'm busy over here. And I'm but also it's, a, pers- it's a personality thing as well. I think, you know, some people I know are really good at taking themselves care of themselves physically and make the time to do that. And I sort of envy them and admire them and remind myself, you know, that I'm not wasting time if I'm doing a load of stretches because I've got a bad back. Like that's important because if I have a bad back, I can't write. So without being grumpy. And so I should have just 
be all impatient with my body and go, oh God, I wish we didn't have to do these stretches. I wish we were still 60. You know, just know you're going to have to take some time. This is fine. This is a good thing to do. Be nice to yourself. Be nice to your body. And so that sense, like you say, of being friends with your body, taking it on a date, just treating it nicely. I think that's all a really good thing. But I, you know, I do think there's a temperamental thing sometimes, you know, I'm, I I think I saw this at Kate McKinnon, I think said on, um, an interview, you know, the thing about comedians, you don't even want a body, you just want to be a brain in a jar. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> I don't even give it any thought, you know, you just sort of think. Um, but I think that's also partly why we wanted the dance scene in there. And I, you know, I love dancing and I know Emma loves dancing. You love dancing. Like we all just like, I, I think that that moment, if you can just abandon yourself to dancing, you're well on your way, <laughs> you know, to kind of achieving some sense of friendship with your body because, you know, it feels good to just let yourself go and do that. And it can really be a prelude to all kinds of loosening up and other experiences and all of that sort of thing so yeah I think the idea of making friends with your body and trying to make friends and confront a sense of shame about it uh, was a big part of the film but mainly the thing I asked myself all the time was is this interesting is this entertaining um, and those are my only two guiding rules really so it's like yeah I'd love to I love to pick things apart and analyze them and talk about them and all of that sort of stuff but my main aim is to write something interesting and entertaining well you've and certainly I want- done that and it's it's <laughs> so engaging but also it genuinely is a film I think we were thirsty for but we didn't know we were thirsty for it till we saw it and then I was like oh my god why have we not seen 12 versions <laughs> of this story yeah. when we've seen three million versions of the story where a man takes a gun and shoots someone and mm-hmm. I'm like you know this is such a human film ultimately um, and I think that's the reason it's such a feminist film. It's the humanity inside the woman, deep down inside. And uh, the same way I felt about Fleabag was, you know, it's about the humanity. It's about the the human being deep down inside the woman, beneath all of the implications of, and that, that gender saddles you with. Mm-hmm. Deep down there is just a human being that wants to be touched and, you know, l- connected to. And, um, and I think that... Uh, it's been it's a, such a successful film and I really look forward to seeing it become a huge global hit um, what's next for you Katie Brand are you, are you writing anything else that we're allowed to hear about um, I am I don't know if I can say but I, I wrote another screenplay last year which is a kind of road movie and that I think is quite far down the track now in terms of attaching uh, cast and things like that so I think they are hoping to shoot that and well I'm very I'm... excited to see I hope it's the next Thelma and Louise your road movie yeah me too um, <laughs> uh, in the way that this is the next I mean I, mean, I can't say this is the next Dirty Dancing because people, a lot of people think Dirty Dancing is very trashy and it's and it's it's but not it's a trashy not. film. It's very classy. Uh, so wherever you are and however you can, it now has global distribution. I believe people have uh, jumped on it. And I was chatting to one of your distributors, and I said, "Do you think this is going to be huge?" And she said, "We think it's going to be a movement." So I was like, "Oh, this is so exciting!" <laughs> So not to put any pressure on you to start. No, 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 I'm, I'm backing out of the room when everyone two, says that. Two-hander film. Um, <laughs> although, can I say, I say it's two-hander. Becky, the one, oh, the, the actress who plays Becky yes, is a yes. phenomenon. Yes, um, yes. I did Isabella actually think that's the role you would have played in your 20s, brilliantly. Yes, she, would have, she's so funny. She does it much better than I would have done it. We watched it in the live audience in the Berlin Art. Uh, film festival in Berlin with an audience of 800 people most of whom English was their second language and people laughed their asses off the minute she came on like people was just it was some of the biggest laughs of the thing she just really nails that I'm really Same glad they cast her she was so funny year. yeah <laughs> I was laugh. like I was like I go when he, she said she's meeting a friend and she looks at him and she says 
this your friend then? And every <laughs> time, it just gets me every time. She just, it just, <laughs> it just reminded me of girls I was at school with, you know, just a bit dry, bit like, you know, on the ball, but like, you know, not going to, not going to give it away. Uh, yeah, she does a great job. Great job. Amazing. Well, uh, thanks very much for writing such a brilliant film and we look forward to seeing what you do next. But uh, Guilty Feminist listeners, if you like this podcast, uh, you are really going to get and love good luck to you, Leah Grand, and good luck to you, Katie Brand. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. Thank you so much to everyone who's come out to the tour shows. It has been a riot. We are next in Cardiff on the 4th of June with Sophie Duca, Abigail Shimon, Celia AB and Jess Robinson. With more dates to come, we're going to be in Glasgow, we're going to be in Newcastle, we're going to be other places. Get involved. And we are building up to our seventh birthday show at the Hammersmith Apollo on the 1st of October. There's going to be some very exciting guests. Please book now. We will be in Australia and New Zealand in July. And by we, I do mean me and Grace Petrie and incredible Australian New Zealand comedians like Cal Wilson. We will be in Adelaide, Perth, Canberra, Melbourne, Christchurch, Auckland, Wellington, and Sydney. Get your tickets now. We've just added a date in Belfast, the 14th of October at the Ulster Hall. And tickets go on sale now for Kima Bob's Fock It Up Comedy Club. Fox stands for Femmes of Colour. That will be at 21 Soho every Sunday from the 19th of June. And it'll be a live record of a brand new podcast from the House of the Guilty Feminist. Big Speeches is on the 26th of June with Jessica Regan. Go and get your confidence on by doing that Zoom course. Listen to Media Storm from the House of the Guilty Feminist. And rate, review and subscribe our podcast. Follow, do whatever it is that you can to support the Guilty Feminist if you enjoy the show. For details about all of this and to book tickets, go to guiltyfeminist.com. And now back to the podcast. So that was the movie I told you about. Did it live up to expectation? Uh, do you see what I mean when I said women are thirsty for this film? Um, do you feel sated? Yes. Well, gang, I have something very exciting for you now. Uh, we are going to have a discussion about the film. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Emma Thompson and with her, Hello, Emma. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much. I'm uh, with my colleague. Yes, indeed. My colleague, so Dar much better looking in 3D. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. I just like, this is Darren in 3D. I, I've seen this film twice now, actually once on a, on a laptop at home. And <laughs> that sounds wrong. I, I was just prepping. I, I was prepping. I was prepping. But I've not met you before in real life, yes. Darren. And then you walked in the door, and it's always that strange thing when you've just watched someone in a film and they come and you go, oh, and my God, you're here real. in person, yeah. Yes, here you are, real. Lovely to meet you. Really lovely to meet you, too. And have you been doing junkets and things all day? Have you been talking about this film all day? Yes. 
Are you? But we're, that, we're still very, very enthusiastic. We've been looking forward to this all day. Oh, good. Oh, good. This is the fun, exciting one. So, first of all, welcome to the Guilty Feminist screening of Good Luck to Julia Grand. Uh, our audience have loved it so very, very much. Emma, what made you want to do this film? Because I heard that you read it and said, right, we've got to make this. What was it that compelled you to make this film? Um, it was just... Uh, who has ever seen this story? N- nobody. I mean, it was such an incredible premise. In the knock on the door, and there's a very young sex worker who comes into a much older lady who's a retired teacher and a widow who... Who's, I mean, it's just so extraordinary. It was so unique. And also, as I read it, I thought, well, Katie seems to have covered literally all the bases in all women's lives. Um, you know, motherhood, uh, marriage, um, the boxes we're all kind of think we better get into, otherwise we're not going to... We're not going to be right. We're not going to be. We're not going to read properly as women. We won't be doing the woman thing. We won't be giving good woman, you know. Um, And somebody coming to a point where she said, "I think I've got to change this," and being so terrified because she's crossing every boundary she could ever imagine. She'd cross-eyed with crossing these boundaries, you know. Um, And it was such a fascinating place to start. And I didn't know where it would end up, even though you can see in the, in the script sort of the journey, but you, we didn't know when we started it how we would be feeling at the end of the journey, and that was really interesting too, and sort of scary, but in a good way. Do you mean how you would be feeling as, as characters, or mm. you mean that you allowed the script to evolve while you were playing But it? No, both things. I mean, no, the script was the script. I mean, I cannot emphasise enough that that text was... Just so wonderful. I mean, we did do work on it for the couple of months beforehand. We talked a little bit about... I mean, that thing about cats, orga- the, the orga- cats... The, um, that's my, my... I told Katie that story, and she said, she said I'm putting that in. What? The cat thing, you know, do cats orgasm? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and people who orgasm... What is oh, it? Sneezing. 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 When you sneeze yeah. very loudly. It means that It you... means that you orgasm loudly sure it's absolute bollocks but it is quite funny the eyes, yes you know and and then the sneeze the cat sneeze yeah. <laughs> which is nancy's sneeze. Um, so the, things like that were were very much in play um but the but anyway. the text, oh, the text. <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh, hilarious <laughs> Uh, but the text was the text, and the, you, yeah, we didn't you, improvise uh, but, at all. But there was—I think there was so much for you as actors to play with within the text, like a brilliant play. What did you think of it, Darren, when you first? Well, there was layers and layers. I think we started reading the the text and the script like a, a live reading back in Norwich last year, and I I think we didn't realize the layers that were there, you know, because initially when you read it, there is kind of a comedic element. There is these two people, and there is the journey that they go on, but there are such subject matters that are examined in this film that I think haven't really been seen too often on on screen. And we were very much aware of that, I think, when we read it. But when we started playing it out, we were like, oh, these are two real people in a room and they do go on a journey together and they do come out of that room different people. So um, I think that was exciting as it began to reveal itself to us. 
But that started when we started reading it and the, the words came out alive and, and we started rehearsing it with Sophie. So that was a surprise, but a great one. Uh, Dara, before uh, the film started, we were talking about the fact that it's not just that we haven't seen this film before. We never see a film about a woman over 60 where it's her story, mm. ever. Like, mm. unless she's, like, a lawyer, but it's, that's not really about her humanity. That's about her cracking a case or something like that. Do you know what I mean? You could, you could do an Aaron Brockovich thing, but it's very unusual to see just the humanity played out of a woman over 60. Like, it's so unusual, much less her sexuality. It's so unusual. The vulnerability in it is really, I think, what is unique in this film. Just, there are times, and it is your acting, Emma, that is absolutely extraordinary, but you just know those moments in your life where she just wells up at the admission of... I think you just so rarely see this, but I want to do this. I want to have this. And it's an embarrassing thing to want pleasure. It's an embarrassing thing to even feel like I should be in the ring with this pleasure. Like it's humiliating that I should even be participating in this. And the times when you see that come over her face or she just wells up because she's bravely gone out and done it. And then how do you play that in that seat? How do you approach that? Because I feel like your performance, you're just sort of holding her there all the time like this anchor, letting her go to those places. Was that really vulnerable to do? It was so beautifully done. Yes, I mean, I think she's, she's very familiar to me, Nancy. I know a lot of teachers and I know a lot of women who have had lives that um, have dicked all the boxes but might not have allowed them a kind of freedom or a kind of adventure. I mean, we're not encouraged to be free and we're not encouraged to go on adventures. It's, we're really encouraged to sort of stay put and shut up. I mean, I know things are changing and they have changed a lot since my mother's generation. That's certainly true. But at the same time, I think it's still very much there. You know, we, we, we all know what it's like being shut up by some bloke who thinks that you should just not be speaking, um, and they should be. Um, so, um, you know, Nancy's very, very familiar to me. She says her upbringing is in the 1950s. She didn't grow up in London, and I think that's true. I think, you know, out of the cosmopolitan areas of any country, you know, women's lives are very different and very sort of much more sort of narrow the scope is much narrower unless they've ch taken themselves into sort of the arts or gardening or something you know where they're just sort of at one with the earth and then <laughs> that's fine because then you can go with the flow but but a lot of the time it's just mm. not possible so Nancy's just a very familiar mm. kind of person and that's what makes her so vulnerable she seems so strong and so sort of sorted and so kind of assured and brisk and kind of you can see her in the classroom can't mm. you and there she is terrified it really put into relief for me very strongly how much we are so gripped by convention so much of the time all of us like I think I mean almost all of us I speak for myself when I say that but I see it a lot how gripped by convention we are like you just don't see a man knitting on the bus because that's not conventional and you so you pretty much never see it. There must be men who enjoy knitting or would enjoy knitting. Why is it a female thing to knit? I don't know, but it is. And therefore, uh, it's like even in those small things, that that's why would that be embarrassing? But it would. You would turn and look if you saw a man knitting. Or there are certain things that we... Like a man cannot wrap one piece of fabric around his legs. He can only wrap two, but a woman can do two or one. And 
anything other than that is oh what's happening over there do you, I, I find it's, it i just this film really reminded me of that how conventional we are how much we're constantly obeying and what i thought it was an amazing piece of advocacy for was sex work which again you just don't see much how was it for you daryl coming into that and prepping that what did you learn about sex work through this film I mean, I was really much, my eyes were opened, you know, to a whole world that I haven't really had the privilege of, of uh, getting to witness. And I thought Katie did an amazing job of truly showing the capacity of sex work, um, seeing how someone who had found a vocation in it and, and seeing two people locked in, you know, not locked, but away in a room, away from the world, and to see the capacity of what he has gone through to offer some sort of foundation for Nancy. I thought that was amazing because we met and I spoke to people who had had that walk, had found this vocation for themselves. And I think it was super exciting to see in a script someone who was super empowered in that position, like not reductive, not diminished, not kind of stereotyped in any way. Mm. And uh, those were the people that that we met, me and Sophie, um, the sex workers that we spoke to, I was in complete awe of these people. Like they had just such self-authority, self kind of power and identity in themselves in the midst of what is such a stigmatized job. They had found a complete sense of trueness to themselves and were offering something that was of true value. And to have a film that is showing the capacity that I think is, hasn't been really, I haven't seen it myself. So to be privileged then to like do that exploration and then to embody that and, and to feel like there's a true value in that was exciting. I mean, I think it's a real fight for feminism now because there's still an old guard that feels that any kind of sex work uh, is a compromise on consent. And I feel very strongly that we do need advocacy because there is absolutely no way of stopping sex work mm. and you can only decriminalise it and make it safer mm. but also it's true, I've got a friend in Melbourne who's a sex worker who talks about it's a vocation for her and she loves her clients and she finds great fulfilment in it and I've never seen it depicted in that way with such dignity and power and there are a lot of sex workers <laughs> who are in that position and feel that um, with those well, issues, what they teach you? us though is something that I think we really don't have in the sort of wider and this sort of superstructures, which is respect for sexual pleasure. Mm. We don't respect it. We we condemn it. We 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 make it the butt of our jokes. We belittle it. We don't we don't respect it, and um, and that's a really big problem. I mean, it's been stigmatized and demonized and tabooized by religion, by patriarchy, and so forth. Actually, I've got a friend who's writing um, a PhD on the effects of the patriarchy on the female orgasm, which I must mm. remember to read. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you know, I, I do think that it was, it's been outlawed, and it's so painful and tragic that that is what has happened to mm. our attitude to sexual pleasure, it's very, very fucked up. Mm. And I, I, what I loved about this film is watching consent played out again and again. Is it all right if I touch you here? Is it okay if I touch your shoulder? Would this be okay? And how he's checking in with her. And it's almost like a masterclass in consent, but without, like, hoovering the sexiness out of it. Um, it's so sexy. You spoke with us earlier, yeah. We were talking about it. I was just saying, you know, consent is so sexy. 
you know, can I do this? Yes. Yes. Is, yeah. is a kind of allowing, and it's also a kind of giving in. It's a kind of, it's, and you're, you're taking that step for yourself, and you're falling mm. into it. It's so erotic, consent. And, you know, we've, I, I don't know about you, but if you think about Ian Fleming and all of that, the sort of macho guy literature and films and things we all, well, I certainly grew up with, you know, the rape myth was very, very strong in that. And, and it is exactly that, a myth, you know. Actually, it's not sexy to say no and someone to say, but I'm still going to do it. It's sexy to be asked and to be able to say yes on both sides. Mm-hmm. Does this feel good? Is that good? Is that nice? And it's if you heaven. are playing out a role play like that, because that's your particular thing, you still need to agree it before. It still needs to be you know, non-consent within consent otherwise it's just frightening even if you have a fantasy of it it's not sexy in that moment unless it's framed in consent and I just really loved watching that I thought the way that you played it Daryl was so it was so beautiful because you held the eroticism all the time even when she was kind of flapping around you know and you know sort of panicked and you just kind of held that steadiness uh, the first time I saw it was at a, a screening Emma invited me to and Kat Moran was there and afterwards she said to me oh my god there's going to be people advertising the Leo Grant experience and there's going to be so many women googling Leo Grant experience um, and, uh, and, gre- and, and kind of great I think the argument that it should be provided on the council isn't wrong because much like if if the council provided yoga and if the council provided you know group singing and you know for meditation for children we would save so much big picture oh big time we would yes, uh, the nhs it's a public would, health issue uh, it is because the nhs would be so much less overloaded because just we would release anxiety yeah. so what i'm saying is let's start a party okay the big o party yeah um where it's like you know head heart soul and ultimately we just promise in our manifesto orgasms for all <laughs> I was reading the stats earlier, Emma, before you got here, and 85 to 95% of sexually active people have orgasm most of the time that they have sex, except for one group. Can you guess that group? It is straight women. Straight women only, uh, only 65% of straight women regularly orgasm, but all other humans seem to orgasm nearly all the time. It's only straight women. I can't think why that might be. But let's see if our audience know. Would anyone have a question that they would like to ask? Well, I'm probably the same age as you, and I'm also a teacher. So lots of this, you know, I was laughing all the way through. But I wondered if you felt brave, if you took some bravery to do this film. Because it felt brave. Um, well, you're really talking about taking my clothes off, and, aren't well, you? Because the rest of it is... And being vulnerable. I am talking about taking your clothes off, but also being vulnerable. I mean, I think... I don't think... Put it this way, I don't think it's a, a role I could have played earlier than this age. I don't think it would have made any sense earlier. I learnt a great deal about myself doing it. It did require courage, but I was very safe because I was with Daryl and Sophie Hyde, our director, and we were a very, very strong team. So we were all, we were very held. But um, I did realise when we'd finished making the film that I would actually have to face showing it to people, (laughs) Uh, which I hadn't quite computed. Mm. I thought, this amazing experience... 
we've had it, it's finished. Oh my God, it's been the most amazing experience of my professional life. I've learned so much, I've laughed, I've cried, I learned about my body image, sexual pleasure. Oh my God, shame. Oh, you know, deep. And then suddenly I realised there were going to be audiences and I was going to have to sit in a cinema <laughs> and watch it with large groups of people, some of them foreigners, you know, like in Germany. And just, it was, it was oh, Germany, they've got, they, Germany no, the they audience all, probably had their kiss they off. They spend yeah. the entire time naked with yeah, each other they in own, saunas. They, they probably screen it in saunas there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly so. So, yeah, you know, it was, um, it's sort of an X-ray part. Um, but but I've found, as the journey's progressed from January when we opened it in Sundance, it, is that it's it's been so wonderful sharing with other women um, and with men, actually. Um, Some younger men, some older men. I was talking to an 80-year-old man the other day who said, you know, he's seen the film and loved it, said, I talk to my guy friends and they say they have great sex all the time and I just don't believe them because they're not being honest. They're saying it because they feel they have to say it. And this is a guy in his 80s. So, you know, it plugs into how difficult it is for us to be honest about our sexual experiences on a private level, but also with each other. And it's these conversations that I think will release us a little bit from that tight grip on our body images, on our acceptance Mm. of ourselves and on our acceptance of our own desires. What's wonderful about the relationship between the two of them is that Leo, Leo sort of kind of births her in a weird kind of way. You know, mm. she comes into this relationship with lots of assumptions, not thinking that she's going to have anything in common with this young man, and then suddenly tells him everything. Everything, things that she's never said to anyone before. She opens up like a walnut, and, you know, he, he's, mm. he's, he doesn't judge her. And not being judged is one of the sexiest things mm. ever. Someone just not judging you is such bliss. And then you can relax... And you can't have good sex unless you're relaxed, in my view. And in most films, you look at people having sex, they just look cross. <laughs> they just look kind of angry. Which is, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And you can't believe that they're having a good time. But, of course, what is that? It's just not, it's not sexy. Yeah, it's so true. Watching someone just absolutely be liberated or melt into the sheets the way that you are or Nancy is during the film is so wonderful. I love the fact that Katie wrote a real arc for your character because I feel if a man had written that and the lead had been a man, the woman would have been a siphon. You've got a proper life and there's so much dimension to you and so much change to your character as well. Sorry, got it. Is the microphone there yet? Yeah. Yes. I've got it. Sorry. <laughs> Um, That was amazing. Uh, Thanks very much. And I was just wondering, actually, Daryl, how it felt to be so objectified. Because for me, it was very... um, Because we're so used to seeing women being objectified, but actually the film is all about you and your beauty. And I just wondered how that felt. Did it feel strange? It's a question I haven't really answered before, but that's uh, really interesting. Um... I think what's interesting about Leo is that we don't get much of a window into his personal life, but yet we feel he's capable of what he's doing. And um, that's felt by Nancy because I think that's what helps her unburden some of what's been given to her prior to this occasion. Um, So I think he's a young man who's gone through his own journey with self-image, what that means, like 
Katie did a great job of writing into the script that he's had to work on his body in order to feel appealing. So he can't be aware of that unless he's aware of like what image does. It's only the fact that he works in this vocation that he is using it to, I think, be a, a certain presentation to offer also something else that's not just physical. Um, so I think uh, I didn't feel objectified. I felt like there was such depth to him and that he was offering uh, value that came from his life experience. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was quite inspiring to see a young man laying a foundation of a place for a real growth to happen that I just haven't seen before. So I didn't feel super objectified um, within the process. I thought it was everything that was written in the script felt, you know, everything that was being examined by Nancy, everything that he was able to offer her felt in his capability. Didn't feel like he lost anything in those challenges, you know. He was in charge of it, wasn't he? And therefore, it's not like an objectification that happens to you. Mm. He was coming and bringing, he kept talking about this experience that he was bringing in this you know, there's a, there's a fantasy, he keeps mm. saying, I'm selling a fantasy. I think that was what was so interesting, was that they come from complete different walks of life. Nancy having experienced more time on Earth, more life experience to some degree, but yet in this incapacity, he had gone through such his own journey that he was really able to hold his own and offer something of, of education or value. And I thought that was so interesting because... Yes, the ages are completely different, but yet he has a particular experience and grasp just on the base of his life of, of a particular area that he's able to give to someone who's, who's of a different generation than him. So I just thought it was so fascinating that age is not a predication of our experience of life. It's more about our life experience that gives us access to, you know, something in life. And I'm a feminist, but sometimes I do just want to be objectified for an hour. <laughs> I just sometimes just for like an hour and a, ninety minutes. I, I just I want to be I want to be that. I want to just be. Well, don't we objectify ourselves every time we look in a mirror? Yeah, a little bit, teeny bit, <laughs> a little people, bit. People, you know. So actually, just release yourself from the mirrors sometimes. I think I love that line where you said about you were expecting to be disappointed, mm. and then. He says, why do you assume you're going to be disappointed? And you say, well, I've always been disappointed before. It's like Nancy's whole life has been disappointing. And so to be the person, you kind of know that, to be the person who can undisappoint her is something, it's, it must, I mean, it must be incredible to actually be able to do that. Do we have more questions? Um, quick one. Just in terms of acting, what was the most challenging scene to film? Was it different, different for each of us? Each maybe? one of us, mm. probably. What was your most difficult moment? Um, I think the mo the moment when Leo kind of has a lot of pain come out towards the end of the film, when he's finally prodded enough to like be triggered, and a lot of his inner life comes to the surface within the room, because I think that was just an emotional scene for me. So I, I felt like with everything I wanted to kind of get to that place. And I think also as an actor, it's natural that in those moments you use a lot of your own self. So I think that was also a place in which I had to kind of go into myself and it wasn't more relying on, on I've obviously I felt completely safe and trusted with Emma, but that was where I had to go into my own life and really bring something to the surface. So 
I think that would have been a tough day for me because it was like everything else felt real. Just I know there was, I mean, you had your own emotional moments prior to that, but I felt like we were really just enjoying the collaboration. But that day to me felt particularly like, oh, mm. I have to go somewhere now. Um, so that was my most challenging scene. I mean, really just having to stand in front of a mirror and not pull my stomach in was really, <laughs> that was the hardest moment. I know, I mean, I'm making light of it, but actually it was really hard. Really hard to act it. It was really hard to lose myself and be Nancy because Nancy's not judging. She's not, she's not me. She's someone else. So I, I, and I really had to honour that. I had to let her be her. Um, but it was a struggle. <laughs> yeah, because she's using your body. She's using my body, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a, a person there. Um, hi, I, oh, thank you for that film. It was absolutely fantastic and wonderful. Um, I love Daryl, number one fan. I've got a question for you. Um, just it's <laughs> a first time I didn't hear that. Am I allowed to say that? Sorry, I'm that? sorry. I'm with you. Um, so in that, there's a scene where, where you were losing your shit, you know, you were just like, you wanted to be a professional and um, Nancy was really kind of saying, come on, I want to know you. And I just wanted to know how that felt to you, like you trying to maintain you be doing your job mm. and this woman just really trying to strip you and mm. get down to, you know, to you as the, yeah. just the person, like her son. It could have been, could have been her son. Yeah. It's interesting because I think that's Leo's safe space is holding those boundaries. Um, and I, from, you know, meeting sex workers as well, that's a major thing. Being in a, in a, a legal profession, those are the safe spaces that you hold as an individual going into those rooms. So I think what was really captured great was that you, he holds them from the beginning, but they start to fall away because he, he has a soft spot for Nancy. I think beyond the professional environments, he admires her. And I think he is championing this journey that she's going on. Yet at the same time, there's that element where there's a whole poke that taps into his vulnerability. And so I think that was really interesting because he does hope to hold a professional space. And I think that's why he kisses her on the cheek and says, look, you don't have to pay for this time. You know, I'm sorry that I've gotten out of, you know, professional environment, but I think he does hold hope to honor that, you know, professionalism, which I thought was even amazing, more amazing because, you know, in that context, so much of his own personal stuff just came to the surface mm -hmm. in contrast with what he was trying to kind of set. Um, but that's all, again, down to Katie. I think she just did a great job of like all of these little nuances that, you know, were so well written and then so much, so, so exciting to play. So I think we've come to the end of our time. Um, but uh, Emma, I want to ask, what do you hope this film will do? What do you hope it will put into the world? I hope it does what it did for me. I hope that it invites people to respect their desires, um, respect their, their bodies, accept themselves, um, maybe take the odd risk. Mm. Have some adventure. Yeah. And 
and believe in pleasure. Uh, and if only we could reframe the idea of who's sexy and mm. what we're constantly told is sexy on every bus stop. Um, but that's something inside you. That's that's something really inside you. And I think that's when Nancy smiles. There's lots of people interpret it in different ways, and I think it's because. What Leo's given her, because he's kept telling her, look, you've got a beautiful body, what you just can't... But what Leo's given her is her space in which she can just exist. And, you know, this is all we've got. We've just got this little vessel. We go. It gets us about. We haven't got anything else. What are you going to do? Are you going to just spend your entire life going, there's something wrong with it? That's just such a waste of our time. You know, and the capitalist imagery around us you know which is all money making does nothing except make us feel discontented with what we are mm. and i hope that this film shifts that a little bit in the opposite direction mm. because it really needs it really needs yeah, that desperately. we really need that it feels like the most feminist film i've seen in years 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 on so many levels but mostly for that one it's so revealed to me when I'm watching it I'm like you know Nancy's this uptight teacher who on the face of it isn't a sexual person if you met her in a cafe or something like that you wouldn't think oh mm. but there she is there it is lingering under the surface and and as she allows that out she is so beautiful and she's so sexy at one point there's a lovely moment at the end where you're saying something like oh you're so hot and I'm like yeah she is you know and when we first seen her kind of buttoned up in her blouse she isn't she's not she's she's there uh, and it just that melting away and there she is so hot daryl what would you like the legacy of this film to be how would because i feel like this is going to be uh, you know, I've had a Leah Grand moment or, you know, I feel like this is going to be a watchword for many years to come. It's going to be an important film. Just the pace in which these two people explore these things seem to be slow and seem to be internal. And I think that's a major thing that I hope people take away is that our sexuality is something we should deeply respect and understand the power that it can give to us. And I don't think that can be rushed. I don't think that's something we should just which is what the world tells us to be, is just quick and accessible. It's just way more beautiful and slow and deep, and it invites us to have a proper conversation with ourselves. So I really found that amazing in the script, is that a lot of the film is conversation. Mm. Yes, but it didn't seem to be delaying the action sometimes yeah. is like, oh, we don't know how to show the sex, so we'll have a chat. Yeah, it yeah, felt exactly. like the but sex was the way through. Was the, part of it. The conversation was the way through the sex. Mm. Rather, It wasn't delaying it. It was the mm. only way there. Mm. I really hope that everyone here today and everyone listening to the podcast encourages people to watch it. I gave a quote that they're using on the posters that I saw. They sent it through to me that says uh, something like, and, and I, I stand by it. I'd forgotten I'd said it, but I stand by it. Um, women are thirsty for this film so every man should see it mm. <laughs> and I really, I stand by it could you encourage men to see this film straight men to see this film um, because I really think it would be nice to get that number up from 65% of straight women could we aim, you know, obviously we're not expecting it to be 95 like the rest of the population but could we edge towards the, se- could that be a goal in the next few years with the help of this film edge towards a 75% sort of 
hit rate. I don't know, I'm just, these are just suggestions. Um, but I feel this film has a real place in the feminist canon. And I really thank you for going out and making it, because I can imagine it must have been quite a vulnerable experience. I feel vulnerable when I watch it, so God knows what it was like to make it for both of you. So uh, thank you so much for stepping forward, and I really do think this is going to be a legacy movie. So please, everyone, encourage everyone, take friends, go in groups, take take your hen night. Um, uh, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Daryl? Well, thank you. Um, nothing else, just thank you. I think it's exciting to see such a beautiful response mm. prior to this getting a wider release and just makes us more excited that it's going to reach more people. So thank mm. you. And we look forward to um, seeing you become an absolutely huge star off the back of this. Um, well done. I mean, he's going to be a huge star, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Emma, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, just it's a great... It's lovely to be to end our quite long day with you, Lord. Um, because, you know, the guilty feminist is a, is a safe space and a space that I worship and adore and think... And, think has really shifted things and um so it's very it's very lovely to end up in it well thank you so much for coming it's always a pleasure and it's always a privilege uh and especially with this beautiful film big round of applause everyone for darren mccormack and emma thompson thank you so much i've been Deborah francis mike you've been wonderful good night You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, and my very special guests, Emma Thompson, Daryl McCormack, and Katie Brand. The music was by Mark Hodge. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. The producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Zielinski. Thanks to Rachel Craft, Virginia DC, and everyone at Lionsgate, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Good luck to you, Leah Grant, written by Katie Brand, directed by Sophie Hyde, and starring Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormack will be released in cinemas in the UK on the 17th of June and will be available in the United States on Hulu on the same date. Do not miss it. You've got to see it. You really have. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.